Welcome to our first season of the podcast, Growth from Darkness. We are your hosts, Amanda Blackwood. And Chrysanthi Dokos from Coast to Coast. As some of our listeners know, we're both survivors of complex trauma, and it's our mission to help others experiencing similar issues. This season, we're going to be digging into trauma reactions, their long-term consequences, and how we fight back to live our best lives. It's so great to be here again with you. It's um, and we're talking about acceptance today. Yes, and Chrysanthi, I have to say that I accept you just the way you are, and I know that's not at all what we're talking about, but I love you, and I think you're amazing. <laughs> right back at you, girl. Right back. <laughs> no, this kind of acceptance is the fifth and final stage when it comes to the stages of trauma and trying to get through them to finding a healthier balance in life. Yeah, exactly. And and remember, over the last um, several weeks, we've been talking about, we, we started off our podcast series on what is trauma? What does it look like? And then we've talked about the stages of denial. We had an episode on anger, another one on bargaining, and our previous one was on depression. And now we're moving on to our final stage of um, the trauma cycle of acceptance. And there's so many different ways that acceptance can kind of eke its way into our lives. I've known people that have have come face to face with acceptance while sitting quietly at home, uh, petting a favorite animal. And then there's me that I had to do it standing in front of a a huge anti-trafficking conference in front of 3000 people holding a microphone. Um, (laughs) It looks different for every single person. Um, do you remember the moment where you came to acceptance uh, to understand that, yes, this did happen, this is a part of my life, and I'm going to work through this? Yeah, um, particularly in my relationship with um, my dad. Uh, he was a narcissist and I experienced a lot of narcissistic abuse Um with that relationship and I struggled for a long time and with dad you know I had this love-hate relationship with him I loved him because he was my dad but I hated his behaviors and I struggled and struggled and struggled for a long time Um, and it took it took a long time and and it was actually on his deathbed that I finally accepted that he was who he was and um, there was nothing I could do about the past and I, it, it, it's about coming to terms with something rather than going, yeah, it's okay, it all happened, yeah, yeah, I'm fine and everything's positive. And I think we need to clarify for our listeners that that's not what acceptance is. It's not going, yeah, 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 everything's great. It's right. not that toxic positivity. It's it's sort of just a coming to terms with and saying to yourself, well, this happened, it wasn't okay, um, but I'm okay now. And um, I am good enough. I can keep going in my life. Yeah. And we can, we can work through it. We can have a healthy life still. There's still hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trauma is not the end of the story. It's only the beginning of the journey. I love that. That's absolutely right. Um, and off air we were talking about how... Um, with our traumas in, and I think I use the word in some perverse way, I'm glad it's happened because it's brought me to where I am now. Um, and I think that's part of the acceptance. It's part yes. of like, well, you know, you can't do anything about what actually happened at the time you had no control or felt like you had no control and these things were going on in your life to you and you were a victim, but you're no longer in that situation. And so, and what we've done, both of us as survivors of, of some severe trauma, um, we've rebuilt our lives and, um, you know, we're making a difference, we hope, to others in society with, with our podcast, for example. Right. What we've learned. I, absolutely. 
And I can actually, I'm holding conversations with people who are professionals in the field now. Uh, They're professionals for trauma therapy. They're professionals in mental health. These people have spent years and years studying what it is that we're only now starting to study and research and broach. And I'm actually holding intelligent conversations with these people like I know what I'm talking about. And part of me, it has that, that level of doubt uh, that all trauma survivors deal with where I'm not, I, what am I doing talking about this with these people? I'm not good enough to be in the same room with them. But on the other hand, I'm having these actual intelligent conversations with them and they are not only acknowledging what I'm saying, but agreeing with it and elevating it. Mm. And it's huge huge Mm. to have that kind of acknowledgement from professionals in the field. People not only are listening to what it is that we're doing, but they appreciate it and they're getting some value from it. That's, that's massive. It is massive. It is massive. And I think in the past, the, the lived experience has been undervalued, underrated um, in, in the whole mental health arena. But now it seems over the last few years, people are starting to listening to listen to survivors, to listen to their stories, to listen to how they've actually um, managed to work through um, their traumas, and how you know if if they are at that acceptance stage, how they've managed to get there. And I think it's actually helping therapists to um, put together the theory into something very practical because um, it's impossible just as, a, as a, an academic to truly understand and to empathise truly with somebody um, without knowing their story. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we're talking about this kind of stuff, we are talking about it from the stuff that we have researched, but... You know, it, there's so much about that lived experience that every single person is going to have a slightly different opinion or a slightly different perspective on the stuff that we talk about because no two traumas are ever the same. Trauma yeah. is not a destination and it is not a competition. Nobody's trauma yeah. is better or worse than anybody else's. If it is trauma, it exists and it has rewired the way we live our lives. And that's why we're doing what we're doing is mm. to help people to move beyond that and hopefully get into that acceptance stage. Mm. Mm. You used a really interesting term there, rewired. And we, we touched on this on, in an earlier episode. Um, and I think it might be useful to go back to that idea of how um, when we're in a traumatic situation it actually um, our bodies respond biochemically through the um, chemicals in our brain and coursing through our body through our um, nervous system and it actually does rewire changes our cell structures in our brain and our body and we actually keep that uh, trauma in our bodies it becomes a part of us like a second heart or, you know, a new liver. Mm, exactly. So when, when we're going through the stage of acceptance, it's about living with that, cha- that neurological change that has happened to us and um, working through that and actually um, finding ways to live with things like flashbacks and um, anxiety, depression, um, even though we, we're saying it's, it's, it's at a different stage, acceptance sort of moves on from depression, it, we do still cycle through those trauma stages, um, maybe not as ex- extremely or intensively as we have um, it may be immediately after the trauma or when we've um, had a PTSD episode. But those things still keep coming back throughout our lives because it's impossible to erase those memories. Right. You really can't and you really don't want to. It's when you start trying to erase those memories is when you start having all kinds of trauma issues come up again because then Rather than erasing them, what are you doing? You're going all the way back to stage one, mm. denial. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the yeah. thing that you're trying to avoid the most is what keeps coming up. Yes. Um, and so it keeps causing more and more trauma, in fact. Yeah. And I, I mentioned something about my own um, form of acceptance and that anxiety riddled uh, scenario where I was standing in front of 3000 people holding a microphone. Um, <laughs> not everybody comes to the stage of acceptance, like getting smacked in the face with a tennis racket, like I did. Um, for some people, it's a really slow and gradual process. You start mm -hmm. slowly coming out of the depression. You start easing out of the anger. Hmm. And you start slowly accepting like small pieces and it feels like a lot at first, especially when it's happening a little bit at a time in quick succession, mm. Mm. you know, exactly. and it, it can cause that rubber ball, rubber ball effect again with the stages uh, where you start bouncing around between anger and bargaining and depression all over again, because all of this stuff is coming into you and you're starting to go, I don't know how to deal with this. And you're, you're, you feel really unstable, but mm -hmm. for the few who are lucky enough to have it smack them in the face, like a tennis racket, like it did me, um, it happens so fast and it's, it's this moment. Well, I mean, it's fast and slow. It's hard to explain. Um, I had been trying to grapple with the idea of what had happened, but I still wasn't ready to put a title on it yet. Mm. And so it was 2018. I was sitting in the front row of an anti-trafficking conference. A friend of mine had bought a ticket for me to go. And while I was listening to this panel of speakers on the stage, my mind was just kind of spinning. I had been suffering in silence for so many years. I had been facing endless depression and anger and all these spirals. And I believed at the time that my life would never be anything else. And I was wondering why I should even continue to keep trying to live. Why should I keep fighting for myself when I see no light at the end of the tunnel? Mm. And when this panel opened up for the questions to come in, uh, I raised my little hand up in the air. I was really quite timid and withdrawn and scared to speak. And the person with the microphone came up to me and I stood up and I held the microphone and the question that I had in my head was I was going to ask how long it took for a survivor to find a functioning, healthy, normal life after mm -hmm. surviving something so traumatic. Mm -hmm. And what came out of my mouth instead uh, shocked everyone, including me. And what came out was I'm a survivor of human trafficking too. I wasn't planning on saying those wow. words. I had no idea until I was sitting there at that conference that day, that that was technically what it was that I had been through. Mm. I mm. didn't have that kind of understanding or acceptance or knowledge. And when it hit me, it was, it was like a ton of bricks, mm -hmm. you know, and it hurt, but I finally got my question out. And I know that people, people ask me all the time. So what was the answer? The answer was that it looks different for every survivor of any trauma, just like there's no competition and trauma rewires who we are. There is no one size fits all answer for recovery either. There's no one size fits one size fits all answer for reaching acceptance or how you're going to get there or what that looks like when you get there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it wow, I'm I'm just blown away with um your story. And um I can only imagine what it felt like at that moment when you you said that. Um it it, it must have been such a a powerful effect on you. H how did it feel within your body when you said that? You know, I've actually had a renowned psychologist ask me this on his podcast. Um, very, very interesting interview. I wasn't ready for that question when he asked me then, and I'm still not ready for it now, but I'm going to do my best. Well, you don't have to uh, answer it. <laughs> no, it's, it's important to answer, I believe. It's hard to put it into words what I was feeling. Yeah. When I was holding the microphone and before the words came out of my mouth, I was trembling all over. I was terrified. I was scared. I was very weak. 
Um, I felt like if I pushed myself too much further, I would faint and fall out on the floor. Um, but I didn't fall out on the floor. I said what I needed to say, asked my question. And once I got it out, I stopped shaking and I was able Mm -hmm. to stand there and listen intently waiting for this panel to answer me, to tell me that there was hope, to tell me that I could get better. Mm. And when they told me, and I felt this weight lifted off of me and out of my chest, everything just kind of opened up. And then Mm. when I sat back down, I was trembling again. Mm. So that relief, while it was there, it was only there for the briefest of moments. And then it was gone again. And I had to understand that that was the moment when I was finally in a position to start moving forward with my healing. I was not healed just because I said the words. Oh, goodness, no. And and, and it opens up a floodgate, doesn't it? Yes. Um, As soon as that um, light bulb, you know, switches on, that's just the actual beginning point, isn't it, of... um, of the healing process. Right. Um, you finally reached a point where you have processed and acknowledged what have happened to you. You're in a better mindset. Hmm. You're, you're mentally, you're going to be more able to deal with the emotions and consequences of having gone through something so traumatic, hmm. but that's just the beginning of the healing process. Hmm. You have to get through the rest of it before you can exactly. truly say that you are healed from your trauma. Exactly. These are only the stages of trauma. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I recall um, an instance in my own life where um, I was, I'd ended up, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, I ended up in a um, psychiatric clinic with depression and anxiety and was diagnosed with complex PTSD. Um, and whilst I was in the clinic, um, I was referred to a, um, a family violence service and I was with the psychologist in that in an appointment and at that service, and she asked me to list, you know, talk talk to her about what had been going on for me, and I, I, I mentioned all the various things that I'd experienced, and she just kept looking at me and nodding, and in the end, she said, um, you know, all those are examples of toxic relationship and an abusive relationship. And for me, that was that was my light bulb moment. And at that point, I made a decision that I was going to leave the relationship. And it took, it's well, it's taken. I'm still going through that process of unbinding from that narcissist and, and letting that go. Um, there are still things that, you know, I'm dealing with in terms of, the whole situation but I've got to a point where um, I felt validated as somebody who was experiencing that and I, um, I had enough compassion for myself to make a decision well you know you've got to get out you can't can't keep doing this um, so acceptance can come in the form of you know having to make decisions about things and and choices about where to next and sometimes those choices and decisions um, bring with them even more um, traumatic experiences that you have to live through Um, and you know dealing with grief and loss oh yeah well we were talking a little bit before we uh, jumped into the episode today about what that looks like sometimes for trauma survivors especially we have this this uh, trauma reaction called perfectionism Mm -hmm. and that perfectionism makes it to where we have severe anxiety at the thought of failure and when a relationship good or bad comes to an end a lot of times it's seen as a failure. We failed in this relationship, whether it's a romantic partner, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a family member, Mm. we see that as a failure. When in reality, if this is an abusive, toxic friendship or relationship, it's exactly the opposite. This is the moment of truth 
This is Mm. the powerful moment where somebody says, okay, I can accept that this person is bad for me Mm. and I need to end this communication with this person because they're not, they do not have any value added to my life. They have no place for me in their life. This isn't working and we need to move on. Mm. That is strength in acknowledging the truth and having the, the fortitude to see that through for your own safety and mental health is not a failure. Absolutely not. And, um, and, and I'm glad that you've sort of reinforced that for our listeners. It's important that people understand that, you know, relationships come and go. Um, and I was reminded just the other day by somebody that um, people come into our lives for a reason a season or a lifetime and again it's about accepting that okay what was the reason this person came into my life did they teach me something what have I learned from this um they came in for a season uh because you know we had something in common and shared something and we've moved on and do something else now and they're not part of that so it's important when we um when relationships are ending to try and see it in, in such a way that, um, it, it, you know, accept the very topic we're talking about, accepting where things were, how things are now and what's best for us in the future. Right. And when your relationships are coming to an end like that, or when there's a chapter of your life that's coming to an end, uh, it's important to make sure that you know that, you have people that you can reach out to for help when you need it. That can be friends, family, mental health professionals, whatever it is that, that will help you to get through it. Utilize that. That's Mm -hmm. why these people are in your life is because they love you and they want what's best for you. And if you don't Mm -hmm. communicate that with them, if you don't tell them what's going on, they're not going to know and they can't help you and they can't be aware of your situation if they're kept in the dark. Humans don't communicate naturally. We need to work on that. Mm, mm. And I think that's a really good point, actually, Amanda, that um, communication is key. And I know for a lot of people who um, are trauma survivors, and, in, you know, me too, um, articulating what your needs are and what your expectations are can be a really hard thing. Um, and that in itself can actually cause problems in relationships because um, you're not able to actually express what's deep in your heart and um, what your needs are aren't being fulfilled through the friendship or relationship or whatever. Um, and that's traumatising in itself and you end up in a cycle, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's scary. It is. It is. So I was wondering whether we move on a bit in our discussion, Amanda, and just talk about, well, what what can our behaviours look like um, when we're in that acceptance phase of um, the trauma response? And I was thinking about things like, um, you know, mindful behaviours, actually taking time out to... Um, be mindful I think I've said to you in the past and you know we've talked about I think about the birds in my garden Um, and mind uh, in terms of mindful behaviors I actually sit and listen to them if I'm feeling a little bit anxious or um, you know things aren't quite going right and I just focus on the sound of the birds and things shift for me something happens inside my body in my brain and um you know i feel better um and you know when when you act in a mindful way or behave in a mindful way um it can feel like yeah this is good enough this situation you know i can deal with this situation it's 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 okay it's okay sometimes you can train yourself to think in a more mindful way too Exactly. If you sit down and take five minutes to remind yourself of everything that you've managed to accomplish since your trauma happened from the little victories to the big ones, 
you know, it can help to train your brain to focus on what's been going on since then. What have you can, what have you done that's keeping you positive? Mm. Yeah. If you manage to make the bet on Tuesday, that counts. Um, if you got a new job, if you move to a new city, these are huge things that it's, it's difficult to accomplish while you are dealing with trauma. And Mm -hmm. this is mindful exercises, uh, should include the ability to acknowledge the good things that you have done for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Every victory is important and should absolutely be celebrated. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I remember at my absolute worst, I couldn't even um, decide what to eat. So um, breakfasts were just a nightmare. I'd wake up, I'd be hungry in the morning, but I had no clue what to eat. I couldn't even make a simple decision such as that. And, um, and when I was getting to a point where I could make those simple decisions I started to feel good about myself you know it's such a simple thing what am I going to eat um so yeah it's important that um we actually allow ourselves uh, the space to be positive and reward ourselves and, and feel good about ourselves um yeah And it's also important to note that acceptance doesn't mean that you don't get angry or depressed about your trauma anymore either. Mm -hmm. It is still entirely possible to still keep bouncing through all of those emotions and it's still Mm -hmm. quite a common occurrence. Mm -hmm. In future episodes, we're going to be starting to talk about different kind of trauma reactions. And it's important to note that all of this stuff is still possible. It will definitely be less frequent when you've reached the acceptance stage. Mm. You're not going to feel like you're stuck in deep depression or you're not going to be stuck in this incredibly angry place, Mm. but you might still feel those things from time to time. And it's Mm. okay to do that. Just be careful on how you act on them. Exactly. Exactly. So I've got a little list here of um, what acceptance can look like. Can I read those out? Yes. I love it when you have lists. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, so what acceptance can look like, as I said before, the mindful behaviours. And the second thing on the list is engaging with reality as it is. And so essentially what that's saying is that, as we mentioned earlier, it is what it is. It's not going to be anything different because it's happened. We can't change the past. It is what it is. Um, and in terms of what that can feel like is courage. Um, you know, acceptance is courage to look at the fact that, yes, um, this happened. Um, it is my reality. Yes. So it's... it's um, it's simple it's as simple as that it's as we've said it's not this toxic positivity of yay you know i had trauma it isn't that it's about courageous enough to just accept that this is my reality and work through what our current reality is it's also really important to not put too much pressure on yourself to get to this point too oh yeah healing is never a linear process Every brain moves at its own pace and trying to force yourself into the acceptance stage too soon can Mm. mean that you've not dealt with the other stages yet. And those are going to start to rear their ugly heads. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you keep coming back to that point, Amanda, because it's, it's, it's essential that people understand that. It's essential that people understand that each of us are on our own individual journey and each of us, because of what we've experienced, our conditioning from childhood, um, our personalities, we will all deal with things in a different way and um, forcing ourselves to be in that acceptance stage, again, takes us back to denial, um, which causes its own trauma in itself, as we've said. So thank you. Thank you for reiterating that. Um, The other thing that's on my list is this is how it is now, right now. So, you know, right now um, I'm in a good place. 
tomorrow I may not be, but right now I'm in a good place. And that's part of the acceptance and um, validating what has happened and where you are this precise moment. And it might be that, you know, you're still feeling a little bit depressed, um, but the acceptance that, yes, I am depressed, yes, um, this has happened, is helping you through that recovery. That validation is helping you through that recovery. Right, right. It's like if, if you're a kid and you fall off of a, a, a slide or the monkey bars and you skin your knee, you're probably going to end up with a scar from that incident, right? I've got mm-hmm. a bunch on my knees myself. Emotional trauma is no different than that in that mm-hmm. aspect. When you've had an injury, there are scars left behind that will. And the acceptance stage of that is understanding that those scars exist, but they don't make you any less beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I love how you bring in those really practical examples to, to try and understand what we're talking about here, because it is exactly like that. I mean, I've got lots of scars all over my body from falls and, you know, tripping and doing crazy things as a kid. And um, those scars are just an example of a life lived. Right, right. Sometimes the emotional scars can cut deeper than the physical scars. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Mm-hmm. But those scars are still a part of our bodies. They're still mm-hmm. a part of who we are. Yeah. They're still a part of that flinch. If you ever see somebody, you know, tossing a large box at your head again, um, you know, to duck. What else you got on that list there? Oh, what's the next thing is uh, being present in the moment. Yes. So acceptance looks like being present in the moment. And that's a big one, too. Um, I, I cannot count how many times in my past I've been in a room full of people who are all having a conversation and I am not there. My mm. body's there. My brain mm-hmm. is not. And if you ask me five seconds later what so-and-so just said, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. Um, and that's, it's sometimes very challenging, isn't it, being present in the moment? Have you, have you ever driven along a road or a highway and got to your destination and think, how did I get here? <laughs> that disassociation was very real for me for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. It's, it can be really scary. More than once I went on autopilot and ended up in an address that I hadn't lived at in a year or two. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? I'm liking this list. (laughs) It's cool, isn't it? It's really cool. I like this. Um, So being present in the moment is interesting um, because it says, you know, what does it feel like? And it feels like self-compassion. Isn't that interesting? Giving your spouse, giving yourself space to feel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ah, I like that. And don't show it all over yourself. We talked about that in the last episode, but I shouldn't feel this way. Take the word shouldn't out and understand I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I came across one last night as in don't. You know how we said words that um, we must not use? Don't. Because oh, uh, yeah. I went for a walk along the beach and it was, um, I had put out my garbage the night before. It was collected in the morning and I kept forgetting to go and, and get the, the bins. And as I was walking along the beach, I'm going, now, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Bring the bins in, bring the bins in. Don't forget to bring the bins in. And I scolded myself and I said, no, Chrysanthi, it's remember to bring the bins in when you get home. Remember to bring the bins in. <laughs> <So strange laughs> <in my mind. laughs> yes. So, um, you know, it's being kind to ourselves and, and stopping those stupid um, little voices in our heads 
That's crazy. There is a pseudoscientific approach to communication known as NLP or yeah. neuro-linguistic programming. And neuro-linguistic programming is basically understanding that our brains cannot process the negative words. So when you say don't, or when you say, I'm not going to do this, that's exactly what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. When you say, don't forget the beans that your body your brain doesn't process the word don't. So if you leave that out, what have you got? Forget the beans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're mm. going to forget the beans. That's the way it works. We have to retrain our brains and not just because of, you know, we don't want to be negative, but because our brains don't know how to process the negative. Mm. We have to reframe things. I remember there was a, a study that came out when I was a kid about exactly this and it said something about children's brains couldn't process negative words because they um weren't able to process them and since then that the the scientific research has come out that nobody can really process the negative words mm-hmm. uh, but when that came out i remember there was a man down the street who constantly had a problem with his kids getting outside and jumping up and down on the trunk of his car <laughs> ridiculous but i guess these kids didn't have a trampoline um but they were jumping up and down on the trunk of this car and it would swing and bounce and it was kind of a lightweight car so you could Uh watch as they were jumping up the back tires of this car would come off the ground by an inch or so it was was entertaining to watch but this guy uh he just couldn't get this so i had seen the article i was probably about 10 11 years old I had seen the article in the newspaper and I ripped it out of the paper and I went over to his house and I taped it to his front door <laughs> oh. and then I left. And the next thing I know, these kids are no longer jumping on the trunk of his car. Apparently what he kept on saying the kid was to the kids was don't jump on the car. Mm-hmm. When in reality, what did the trick was after reading that article, he told them, keep your feet on the ground. Yeah. Stay away from the car. Yeah. And reframing it to remove the negative words somehow clicked in the kids' brains and they stopped jumping on the trunk of the car, much to my chagrin. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. oh, I remembered the bins, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I brought the bins in. <laughs> oh, dear. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so next on the list, we've got three more before we finish up today. Um, so what can acceptance look like? Being able to be vulnerable and tolerate emotions. Ooh, that's a tough one. Mm. Oh my mm. gosh. Being vulnerable and being able to process emotions. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So when the emotions get to be too heavy, how do we deal with that to help us to process the emotions? That's when we bring in things like mindful behaviours um, and being present in the moment, bringing ourselves back into our bodies and focusing on, um, you know, one of the things that I do is, um, you know, be mindful about what's happening in my body. And just uh, trying to focus on that. Or I think you and I, we did a couple of weeks back, um, list five things that you can taste, five things that you can smell, five things that you can see. And so that's bringing ourselves back into the moment and being mindful simultaneously. Um, Right. The deep breathing exercises, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff that helps uh, write down if you have pen and paper handy, what muscles in your body are tense and Mm -hmm. what thoughts are in your brain. Uh, And then you follow these steps where you find somewhere free of distractions. You sit down and get comfortable. Um, The deep breathing exercises is one of my favorite things to do. So you place Mm -hmm. one hand on your chest and one hand on your stomach. Mm -hmm. To the count of five, you breathe in deeply and slowly through your nose. Do you want to do this with me real quick? Okay. Okay. So hand on my chest, hand on my stomach, mm-hmm. and breathe in. To the count of five, breathe in deeply and slowly through your nose. 
Feel your stomach expand as you breathe in. If you're breathing from the stomach, your hand on your chest should remain still. Fill your lungs completely and count to two. To the count of five, let the breath out through your mouth. Feel your stomach fall as you breathe out. Repeat this for one full minute. When you go through this deep breathing exercise, you can help to recenter your body. And you can focus on how to be more mindful. Yeah. And take a moment to think about um, where you're at, your level of safety. Mm. You can think about your emotions and how you're processing them. Mm -hmm. uh, see if there's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And if you feel lightheaded, of course, you want to start, stop doing it and return to your normal <laughs> breathing patterns before you pass out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but these are all, this is very important to make sure um, that you are aware of yourself. And this brings mm. you back to being fully aware of yourself. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Also, another way is um, that I've used in the past is um, coming up with a, a visualization of a safe place, somewhere where you feel completely safe and um, positive being in that place. So it could be a, a made up and you know, like an imaginary place, or it could be a real place. And focusing on, you know, when, when you're training yourself to do this, focusing on how you feel physically, what the smells are like, um, what you can um, see in that place um, and, and the positive emotions that you feel when you're in there. So right. you're in a, um, a situation where your, your emotions are becoming overwhelming. If you can focus on that safe place in that mindful way, it can help again, have a similar effect as um, that breathing exercise that you just took us through. Um, because everybody as again, uh, we all we all deal with things in different ways. So for some people, the breathing might be too challenging, but the visualization might help. Right, absolutely. And there's another technique that I used a long time ago, um, bringing in your senses. Mm. So Originally, I used this as a study tactic whenever I had something I need to memorize or learn front to back. If you take a candy that you very much enjoy but don't have very often, uh, let's say a hard candy like a lemon drop. Mm -hmm. and if you have this lemon drop in your mouth while you're studying, you are more likely to retain this information because you're bringing in more of your senses. Mm. Um, so when you go in to take the test on whatever it is, if you pop a lemon drop in your mouth, you're associating these senses with one another and you have this absolute recall. So yeah. something as simple as whenever you're in your favorite place, um, have a cup of tea or something or have a lemon drop candy. When you feel what, that you are extremely stressed out, let's say you're in a social situation, you can't sneak away to do your breathing techniques or to think about the five, five senses technique. Pop that lemon drop in your mouth. You know, the one that's all the way in the very bottom of your handbag and may have actually collected a bit of lint by now. It's worth it. Um, <laughs> you can yank yourself out of that scary place with that lint fuzz lemon yeah. drop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's great. Lizzie. Your tips are fantastic, aren't they? So should we go <laughs> to the next one? Yeah. The next one on my list. So acceptance, acceptance can look like assertive, non-defensive, and honest communication. Ooh, this is another really good one. Mm. And again, and another challenging one. <laughs> See, and this is, this is, again, where I come back to the filters that I tend to put things through. I've mentioned this a couple of times off the air, but whenever I'm dealing with a difficult situation, I learned years ago in a seminar when I was becoming a flight attendant that it, you know, the, the old phrase, if you see something, say something. That's great. And that's you know wonderful if you're dealing with terrorists or dangerous situations or human trafficking or child kidnapping or any of these things. But if you're dealing with somebody who's in your life who's not necessarily hurting you, how do you take this terrorist reporting tactic and apply this to your life? You really mm. can't. Mm. So 
If you take everything that you need to say and you put it through these three basic filters, it will absolutely change your life. The first one, is it true? Mm-hmm. Is this absolutely 100% the truth? Is this, this, there's no disputing this fact. Number two, is it kind? You can be very nice when you tell somebody that something is very wrong. Mm. And is it necessary? If it is not necessary for you to say this to somebody, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. If it's absolutely necessary and you feel like it is a life or death situation and you must say something, put it through the other filters first. Mm. It will change the way you communicate. It will change the things that you feel are necessary to be said. It will end arguments. It will stop you from ever having the arguments in the first place. And it's a really great, healthy communication device. Exactly. It falls into the category of what you just said. You're having these adult conversations that are emotionally healthy. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just think that's a fan- <clears throat> Excuse me, a, a fantastic approach to all communication and um on this list, it says that except un, under the acceptance of what can it feel like, it's is wisdom, and the words that you've just described, or that you know that phrase, is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? Is such a wise approach to communication and interacting with other people. When Thank I was when I was in that seminar that day, at the very end of it, I. I didn't know I was even going to bring this up. Um, the, the seminar was being taught by a couple of pilots. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of it, they told me, they told everybody in the room, they said, every single person in here has somebody that they need to communicate with and they don't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. It's something that has not been said before. It's been eating away at you for years. Mm-hmm. And you need to get this off your chest. If you take this filter, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? And you write them a letter. Start tonight. If you write them a letter and you tell them these things, it will open up a whole new world of communication or it will end any communication you will ever have in the future because that person will show their true colors. Yeah. I went back to my hotel room that very night and I wrote what would turn out to be the very last letter I would ever write to my mother. Wow. Within 10 minutes of me sending it, she lashed out at me with one of the most hurtful things that she could have ever thrown at me. And I told her from that point forward, we would have no more relationship whatsoever. Mm. It was one of the most healthy things I'd ever done for myself. And it felt like I was cutting my arm off at the time, but I also knew that it was what was best for me at the time. Yeah. And I miss her, you know, I'm always going to miss her. She's my mother. Um, But that doesn't mean that I am in a mental place to be able to put up with that kind of abuse ever again. Mm. Mm. I've grown beyond it and I have accepted that that is what my family relationship looks like. Yeah. And actually that brings me to the final thing of what acceptance can look like and that is adapting, coping and responding skillfully, which is exactly what you've done in that situation. Um, And, you know, if we look at it through that lens, you've adapted in and, and a cope with that situation and made some pretty hard decisions about your relationship with your mother, um, but you've done it in a way that is actually adaptive for you. You're keeping yourself safe. You're keeping yourself in a place where um, no harm is coming to you by interacting or not interacting with her. Right. Why? That just kind of fits perfectly in there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And isn't it interesting um, how, you know, we go down this list and we've done it each week, um, each time we've we've met, talked about these list of things, you know, in a theoretical way, and yet both of us have been able to apply our own personal experiences to it. 
and um, and then it brings us back down to where we started in terms of, you know, there's the theory, there's practitioners who um, work with the theory and that there's us with the lived experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're showing that these things are actually practical in everyday life. They do work. We're not psychologists that are just spouting nonsense that we learned in a textbook somewhere. Mm, mm. Exactly. Oh, wow. We've gone through a lot again today, (laughs) Amanda. So um, we've we've covered, you know, just to recap, um, we've gone through what is trauma and the stages of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and today acceptance and acceptance isn't um, a toxic positivity thing of going yeah everything's fine everything's happy it's actually um finding adaptive ways to cope and being able to tolerate our emotions being able to be present in the moment and um live our lives as best we can right now and into the future yeah we're ready to start healing now Mm. Mm. that's a whole new journey Speaking of new journeys, since we're done with the stages of trauma and discussing them on the podcast, you know what's coming up next? Tell me. Trauma reactions. Ah. (laughs) Well, that's going to open up a can of worms, isn't it? Oh, amen. Uh, (laughs) And it's interesting, too, because some of these trauma reactions, even for somebody who's already reached the stage of acceptance and has gone through the healing process, we still feel these trauma reactions. They still come up. And sometimes we don't even understand why. Well, I look forward to talking with you again in a couple of weeks time and um, unpacking the various trauma reactions with you. Till then, um, it's been wonderful talking to you today again. Um, I love the time we spend together and um, see you in a couple of weeks' time. You can find out more about Growth From Darkness through the website www.growthfromdarkness.com. You can also learn more through the Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.com forward slash growth from darkness. Thank you.